The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. And we wanted to say happy early Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I'm Jeff Hecker, and joining me today are Caitlin Fashista. Hi, Caitlin, and happy Mother's Day. Hi, thank you. And Thomas Salerno. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Jeff. And Thomas Sanherho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Jeff. All right. Well, today we will be discussing a, a very upcoming and prescient topic of Mother's Day. Um, but before we do that, we wanted to say to be sure to follow the Secrets of Middle Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or in any podcast directory or app. And you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or in Twitter, where we are at SQPN, or on Instagram, where we are at Starquest Network. Today's, as I mentioned, is a Mother's Day special. So again, happy Mother's Day to Caitlin and all the mothers out there. And we were we'll be discussing the amazing mothers and mother figures of Tolkien's legendarium. But before we kind of get into that, I was thinking, um, and I think Thomas, uh, you brought this up of discussing Tolkien's mom, because uh, there's kind of a recurring theme that you mentioned. So I know we kind of in our, our Tolkien's faith, we discuss his mom's conversion from her previous faith to Catholicism and how that kind of inspired him. Um, but I wanted to just open it up. Did anyone have anything they wanted to say about Tolkien's mom? Um, I think Thomas, as I mentioned, you kind of brought this up. So I'll let you go. Go ahead if you have anything. Oh, right. We were talking about this in the in our document, right? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because there's this recurring theme in the legendarium, it seems to me, of people losing mothers. You know, in, uh, you know, they talk about... Um, Faramir lost his mother at a young age. Frodo lost both his parents at a young age. And um, I remember in uh, The Tale of Aragorn and Arwen, there's a very moving scene where Aragorn meets his mother for the last time. And so I just noticed this recurring theme, and I wondered if perhaps it was Tolkien kind of reflecting his own life and his work, because he lost his own mother while he was still young. And it wasn't long after her conversion to Catholicism. And I know, I I believe in in the best-known biography of Tolkien that's out there, you know, they mention how much of an influence losing his mother had on him. And I just wondered if, if... Maybe that's why that theme is so prominent in the legendarium. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it definitely influences it a lot. Um, You see both. uh, It's interesting because you don't see parents very often in the Lord of the Rings. You see many father figures uh, and and you do see many uh, men who are very influential uh, and the women who are very influential tend to be very distant like they don't tend to be as caring as you would normally consider mothers to be uh which is is odd it's a different it's a change from um a lot of uh fantasy fiction where you you'll tend to see more matronly characters that uh that care for the uh you know the adventurers when they're when they're stuck and they you know bolster them and and lift them up and like the only really indication we get of that is galadriel 
And when when we do get Galadriel, it's more in a sense of like terror and awe, not really <laughs> uh, not really like this completely concerned doting mother, but like you don't really want to step the wrong way inside of her kingdom because uh, it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> Yeah, very true. It's something I hadn't really thought about before. And it's kind of, and yeah, you're definitely right. It kind of continues. And then kind of by the end of Return of the King, it kind of resolves itself because, or I guess rather in the appendices, because you see Arwen, I mean, we don't see much of her, but she, we do kind of see her becoming a mom and being happy for a long time as a mom. And, uh, and then at the end of Return of the King and then in the appendices, you see Sam and his wife, Rosie, and who we assume is a good mom. Hopefully uh, we don't know much about their relationship, but we, assume, we can probably assume that it's kind of happy. So it kind of, now that the, the, the great evil is ended, they can, you know, there's space for kind of the goodness of motherhood to kind of flourish. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on this, Caitlin. Yeah, I've kind of just been reflecting on it. And I do think it's interesting that we don't see a lot of, um, like doting mothers, like kind of what you had mentioned before, like um, Tolkien doesn't really get into that aspect of the family life. We see a lot more of like mothers giving advice to their daughters as they're growing older, like um, in the story of Aldarion and Arendis. Um, Arendis's mother is giving her advice and then um, Arendis is kind of raising her own daughter. Um, but at least in that case, she's not really what you would want to aspire to as a mother. So I think it's interesting, like, it's hard to really point to many of the mothers in the story as like, role models, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I think that I imagine a lot of that comes from Tolkien, having lost his mother and, and not really having a lot to go off of from his own personal perspective and it's it's almost like you can maybe see him like fleshing out different different possible paths that mothers could take or or effects that they could have on the story as it's going um but there isn't a lot of that like warm fuzzy like cuddly happy um happy moment kind of motherhood like you think about on mother's day um it's a lot more real and like difficult and strained and and um I don't know it's almost more realistic in that way because life is hard especially in middle earth and uh yeah when you you've got the dark lord sauron um messing everything up um children are dying and families are being separated so it's kind of interesting the way it all plays out um in his stories yeah very well said um well didn't unless anybody had anything else to say about his mom, there was, I just thought we could briefly touch on um, his wife, Edith. I, I did try to look up some stuff and I couldn't really find too much about her as a mother. Uh, but if anybody knows anything, you know, feel free to, you can speak up about it. Cause I, again, I didn't find much, but I did find this quote and it, I believe, I'm not sure if this is from a biography or just something from Humphrey Carpenter, but he did say that she and the professor delighted to discuss and mull over every detail of the lives of their children and later their grandchildren. So it's, it seems like she was a pretty, and I mean, they were great, very much in love and it seems like she was, you know, would have been a great partner and mother for, for their children and a great grandmother. So, um, but if anybody knows anything, you know, has any more details or anything, feel free to 
bring it up here because again i couldn't find too much about it without like checking out a biography and and reading from it too much so yeah i think that's really sweet that we don't really have a ton of information about her and i don't know if maybe she was just more of a private person and um didn't want a lot of it out in the public um so i definitely like want to value the the token family uh privacy you know within their own family but but it's true like what we have heard of her she does seem like she was a a loving wife and mother yeah and given how much detail tolkien himself put into the lives of his children to the point of like writing those very extravagant and detailed father christmas letters that Mm -hmm. that quote that you read jeff definitely i think rings true of what we know about that family and their family life yeah, and from what I, a little bit I read too, it seemed like she was when they were when they were at Oxford, she was kind of the professor's wife and was kind of playing that was kind of her role in in the, in the family and in kind of Oxford society and and then at one point I think after he kind of retired, they moved. I forget where exactly they moved, but they kind of moved away from that and she could kind of become more of a socialite or more of a, not not being the professor's wife but being herself. So. Uh, but again, I didn't see much, you know, how that came about or how much of that really applied to, to motherhood, but just something I thought. But well, thanks for that. And yeah, I guess we can go ahead and jump on to the kind of the main point of our discussion, which was mothers in the legendarium. And I thought we could kind of start by going around and everyone mentioning their favorite. And since we only have one mother on the podcast, I figure we can start <laughs> with Caitlin. So go ahead, Caitlin, who is your favorite mother in Tolkien or in the legendarium? Sure. I almost feel kind of bad because I feel like when you think of Mother's Day, you want to do like a really uplifting kind of flowery sort of discussion. But like I said before, like you just don't really get that with Tolkien. And as I was trying to think of like who my favorite mother would be or or who I would want to highlight, the the character of Morwen came to my mind. So she's the wife of Turin and the mother of Turin. And so this is a Silmarillion story. Um, but it, every step of her story is so difficult for her. And I admire her a lot because she made some really, really difficult and sacrificial decisions for her children to protect them as best as she could. Um, and even though ultimately her story ends in tragedy, you can follow the love that she does have for her children throughout the entire tale, all the way up until her own death. Um, so it's sad. It's definitely sad, but she has a lot of strength as a mother. Um, and you can see her putting her own children kind of ahead of her. Like as a mom myself, the thought of having to send my children away for their own safety is devastating for me because of how much I would miss them. And, you know, I wouldn't want them to grow up without me. But her ability to do that when she sees it's necessary, I think is really um, heroic. And it also, the way that she is able to make such big sacrifices does remind me of um, Tolkien's own mother, how he kind of saw her as a martyr for her faith um, because of how soon she died after Mm -hmm. her own conversion and um, kind of like the conditions she was subjected to uh, because of she was doing what she felt was right. So, I mean, I don't think that they were meant to um, reflect each other, but I think that there is a similarity there in the, the sacrifice that she's willing to make for her children. Yeah, very well said. And I wonder too, if 
so a lot of some of that was influenced by his his experience in war and both World War One and World War Two because he was his mother had passed by the time he World War One and he saw so many people so many children of mothers die who and mothers who lost their children or in World War Two having as you said having the children sent away into the countryside away from the you know populated series like in Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. um, so he definitely kind of saw that a lot of that in his own in in the world mm-hmm. so yeah definitely he was definitely influenced influenced by that so um very yeah. cool all right well let's see who i will go with thomas and you go next who's your favorite right. mother i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna choose a whole race of mothers <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna go with the end wives um, <laughs> I, I, the ant wives are just so interesting to me because like uh the ants are mourning their loss and at the same time not really don't really seem interested in going to find them like it's this weird dichotomy uh, that's going on with the ants uh but for anybody who doesn't know the story is essentially that the ant wives um became interested in growing smaller things they they vegetables and and uh, grasses and and things that were much more manageable like a garden essentially and so they pursued that and the ants pursued growing great forests and trees and and um became obsessed with it and so the two split very uh, very early on like before men learned agriculture before hobbits learned agriculture and that's actually where the men and the hobbits learn the agriculture from is from the ant wives uh so the ant wives teach them how to you know how to develop the land and how to grow things and um i just think this is a really interesting look at you know like that that men are from mars women are from venus thing but <laughs> you know like tree men are interested in growing big big trees and uh tree, tree women are interested in growing gardens and uh, <laughs> and it's just that domesticity versus the uh you know the kind of hubris of the the ants trying to grow these large forests uh it's, it's such a neat like dichotomy that that adds a flavor to like who the ants are as they're talking to Mary and Pippin and you know kind of unraveling their story to uh to us as the reader into the into the hobbits uh that's it's really just, it's a neat uh, it's the one that I always think of when I think of mothers in in um, Lord of the Rings because I know we never really get the like we never really hear about them being mothers or like how an int has offspring um but it's just interesting to me that they're they're lost and so the ants cannot continue on because what would be mothers are now all, you know, gone somewhere else that the the ants don't know about. Yeah, very cool. I wonder if we'll maybe even see something like that in the Rings of Power because I think there's been some speculation out there that there we could see ant wives or getting you know some more of that. So maybe we'll get something, even though it's not from the professor himself. But we'll see. I'm so up, I'm up for it. I, I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I so I'm not gonna give any spoilers away but i was reading the fall of numenor and i if they're gonna follow the story of the fall of numenor i would think that we might see something happening with the end wives but i guess you never know should be in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) they they should be they should be in there somewhere all right and then uh thomas salerno what is who is your favorite mother okay so this character um readers may know from the Silmarillion, but she's kind of become my new favorite mother of the Legendarium because I just finished 
recently rereading the Fall of Gondolin book. And so I'm going to name Idril Celebrindle, who is the daughter of the High King of the Noldor, Turgon. And she is also the wife of the man Tuor, and their son is Aorondil, who is, of course, the father of Elrond and Elros. So she's kind of the, the, the foremother of this great lineage. But what's awesome about her is that, like, when she plays a really prominent role in the fall of Gondolin story, like she's not kind of, uh, I mean, it's funny because like she's the princess of this great realm, but she's in no way a damsel, you know, when, when there's, when there's worry that the city might be under siege one day by Morgoth, She's the one who takes charge and tells her husband, look, we should be trying to make preparations for this eventuality. We should try and have a plan of escape because we don't know what might happen. And so she she spearheads this whole plan to have there be a secret tunnel that leads out of the city. And during the actual battle, during the sack of the city, she puts on armor and bears a sword and actually fights to protect her home. And her son, both because Tuor is is on the front lines manning the walls with the other warriors, but she's at home, you know, protecting it both from the orcs and from the lackeys of the traitor Maeglin, who come to it's because like he he tries to kidnap her and Aorindil, but again, she's not a damsel. She defends herself. You know, and I, I love there's a, there's this great moment when she she meets Tuor during the sack of the city and like he's desperately trying to find her. And she she appears there like on a in 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 a square that he he makes his way to. And it, it describes her as tall as a warrior. And it, and he goes into detail about her armor and the sword that she has. And I, I just thought that that was really cool. It was it, it was very kind of Aeon-esque, but, mm-hmm. you know, in in a in an elf kind of way to to have this this great elf warrior princess was i thought something really unique in the legendarium and and the fact that she you know she she helps protect her son you know she if if it weren't for Idril, there wouldn't have been that exodus from gondolin of people who survived and able to carry on the legacy of that great city and that ultimately led through arndil to the valar coming to middle earth to you know deal the final blow to morgoth you know so i i think she's i I think she's a rather unsung heroine because you don't hear her name a lot and even like you know even fans of the lord of the rings and the silmarillion might either not know her or know a whole lot about her but i think that it that idril needs more spotlight so i just wanted to talk about her yeah she sounds really cool yeah for sure very cool yeah it's you saying that just I'm just imagining Gladriel from Rings of Power, like armored, right? Yeah, the mm-hmm. armored, fearsome elf warrior princess. So it definitely could be some. There's definitely parallels there, whether intentional or not. I don't know, but yeah, very cool. Um, well, I'll go ahead and shout out mine, and I don't know if she's my favorite, but I just found found this kind of interesting and was uh, in mind. So I'm going to pick. Where I've picked uh, Aragorn's mother, Gilreen. Um, so for those who may not know, her story is more in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings. Um, after Aragorn's father, Arathorn, is killed, she brings him to be raised in Rivendell. 
And then she kind of goes back to her people, the Dunedain of the North, who and just who kind of were living in the woods and don't really probably have much of a much of a stable home. And she and she dies shortly before the Lord of the Rings, but not before she says, "I gave hope to the Dunedain, and I kept none for myself." Which, for those who may not have read the appendices but have seen Lord of the Rings the films, that you may that line may sound familiar, and it's because in in the movie it's attributed to Elrond, who says, "I give hope to men," and Aragorn says, "I keep none for myself." So I hadn't really thought about that, but they kind of put her a little bit of story into Aragorn in the film, and and kind of thinking about that, she's almost kind of a Marian figure in that she gives up her son to be king. Um, but obviously in different ways because she does not live to see the victory of her son. And then I believe in the film as well, there's a shot of of Aragorn kind of in front of a statue that almost looks like a Marian statue. Yeah. It does. Uh, of, I remember that. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And and so I and I don't remember if that's in like the flashback when when he and Arwen are younger and he's first kind of leaving to go journey with the Dunedain or if it's when they're in Rivendell after uh, escaping the Black Riders but yeah there's a little bit of, of Marion parallel there which um, we uh, as we've kind of discussed Tolkien definitely knew what he was doing with with some Marion connections with uh, with the fall of Barador and being the same day as the Annunciation so um, it could be a little bit of parallel there um, or maybe I'm just reading into it, but that's who I wanted to highlight. So um, unless anyone has anyone else or any anything to say about her, we kind of have made a list of other ones here. So, um, Oh, I just wanted to mention oh, real quick that uh, Gilrine has, I, I like when Aragorn confides in her that, you know, he's he's met this beautiful elf woman and, you know, he, Arwen, and he's smitten. and she says to him, my son, your aim is high. <laughs> <laughs> Even for the descendant of many kings. And she but she kind of explains to him, like, maybe maybe your aim's a little bit too high. But of course, that that just makes him want to pursue this even more. But I, I just I just like that that moment. It's very human. It's very real. That's so cute. Yeah. Typical mom stuff of mom of a mom <laughs> yeah. of a she son. She doesn't want him to get his thing. heart broken, right? She's like, right. You know? yeah. She's like maybe you uh, could find a nice human woman. Right? <laughs> maybe a nice girl from Rohan. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's not get into like shipping wars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, guess we can keep on moving. So I. You know, we had a couple more lists, so if any, we, no particular order, um, we could, we kind of t- have touched on Galadriel several times, so maybe now would be a good time to, to bring her up, um, as kind of a, as you kind of said, as y'all kind of said, she's kind of a, a motherly figure, but maybe in a more of a, like a terrifyingly matriarchal <laughs> kind of a mother figure, um, but in a lot of ways, she is kind of a mother to the fellowship as well as kind of all the all the free peoples of middle earth because she's kind of the close she's she's one of the last remaining um you know she's one of the highest elves she's kind of a leader of the of of the effort against sauron 
and is is the only kind of female to be there. So she's kind of a mother in that sense. She's like the mother of the of the revolution in a way. <laughs> um, but I don't know if anyone had any any anything you want to say about Galadriel as a mother, because um, we we do have her daughter on this list as well. So if uh, anyone has any thoughts about Galadriel first, I just had that... this really cute thought that she's kind of like she's almost like that mom who who packs a surprise in your backpack for when you go to school. Because she's like, here you go. Here's some things you're going to need on your journey. Like, and don't forget to take this. You know, it's like, I just had this. Yeah. I just here's your, had this here's your coat. <laughs> right. don't, don't forget your light. This is, yeah. this is really important. Uh, she's like, like that artifact mom from the first makes... stage but you know hold on to this uh, <laughs> yeah she makes sure you have everything you need <laughs> yes she equips the peoples of middle earth and even things even things they don't think they'll need like she gives sam here's a seed and you know he, <laughs> and uh gimli gets hair and uh <laughs> various things so but of course, they they do need them, or they become kind of great treasures uh, to them. So, as as in those gifts. So, um, and yeah, I'm curious to see in the Rings of Power if we'll see kind of any development of her as a young mother, because like, we kind of really don't know if if her husband and Arwen are if her if Arwen's around yet. I think in the timeline she should be. I could be wrong on that. I mean, um, uh, uh, Calabrian. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, not not Arwen. Um, yeah. So, okay, yeah, so... Yeah, that's yeah, going to be a weird, not to get too far into Rings of Power, but I really don't know how they're going to write themselves out of that. Yeah. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm along <laughs> for it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them grace. I feel like they are making, out of the elves, they are making much more human characters. I know that's bizarre to, to say, but, like, these characters that are very long lived also have very interesting lives with very like they're, they're able to kind of move away from something for a long time and then come back to it as an anchor point. And I actually like that for her. I think that's an interesting, an interesting thought for her. And I would like to see it. I would like to see them honor the, the actual story as we know it unfolds. Uh, but I don't mind them putting their own spin on it. So I'm intrigued to see where that goes for sure. Yeah. I'm kind of imagining her. She's looking when she's talking to Aragorn in Lord of the Rings and book or movie, whatever. She's kind of looking back and how she knew, uh, Isildur and Elendil and how she kind of was shepherding, shepherding Numenor along in a lot, in a lot of ways. So, um, so we'll kind of, cause we can kind of see some seeds of, if she hadn't gone to Numenor, they probably wouldn't, they may not have returned to Middle Earth, and you know the whole the whole story wouldn't may not have happened uh, in that way. So she's if we kind of keep those as canonical or semi canonical, we can kind of see there's some she's she's drawing on her experience when she's with Aragorn in the future. So um, it'll be interesting to see how she develops as a mother character. Because yeah, again, we we saw a little bit of that side of her when she's with Theo and she's kind of keeping him you know she she's giving him wise advice and you know is is telling him how to you know protect himself and keep himself safe but it's like 
yeah, I, I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of her because like be, be because of the storyline of this season, like we just see her like, go, go, go do stuff. And we, we didn't get as many quiet introspective moments with her. And the ones that we did get were some of my favorite moments of the season. So it'll be interesting to see Galadriel kind of grow into that role. And I think there's a lot of potential there because yeah, as, as you said, Thomas, these these are beings that live so long that like their accumulated wisdom and knowledge over the centuries. Yeah, it, it just must must make them have just a completely different outlook from normal people. And I, I hope they explore more of that. Yeah, yeah very cool. I think importantly for her, too, she's the mother of the forest, right? So she's. By by the time we see her in the actual Lord of the Rings books, she's settled down um, and and has has a place that she is in charge of and cares for. And you see that she won't leave like she's not going to to go and participate in this particular cycle of the ring. Uh, but that's because she has. A, she has a home that she's responsible for and you see her a lot more settled in that. And I like that. And I hope they really tie those two things together from the rings of power. This like, you know, the young mother or the young woman going out into the world to make a name for herself, as opposed to the, the woman who's settled into this domesticity. That's equally important as all of the adventure that she's been through and, and impactful and significant in a different way. And I also just thought of, there's the angle of Galadriel as grandmother, because we know from especially from the tale of Aragorn and Arwen that Arwen spent a lot of time with Galadriel. Over the centuries, you know, so it's like she uh, Galadriel definitely had a hand in raising her granddaughter, because as as I'm sure we'll get into later, her own daughter, Arwen's mother, couldn't really be present. So she kind of took over that mother role. For her granddaughter. And I know that, you know, in real life, there are there are families where that is the situation where the the grandparents kind of have to pick up, you know, either because, you know, the parents can't be there or they've died. And so I, I think that's an interesting side of Galadriel's character too, Galadriel as grandmother. Very cool. Well, I think we can use that as to go right into uh, who would not Arwen, but uh Galadriel's daughter, uh, Calibrian. So, or Celebrian. I'm apologize for not knowing how to how to pronounce that correctly. But uh, didn't anyone want to kind of share who who she is and and her importance with uh, the story? Well, yeah, it's like she's she's interesting because you don't really. I, I believe she's mentioned like maybe once in the whole Lord of the Rings. I think there's a lot more about her in the appendices where she's she's the daughter of Galadriel and Celeborn. And in the second age, she marries Elrond, and she's the mother of the twin sons, Eladan and Elrohir, and Arwen. And the, the gist of her story is that um, she actually gets captured by orcs at one point. She, I, think, I believe she's traveling between Lorien and Rivendell through the Misty Mountains, She's captured by orcs. She's given a poisoned wound. She's tortured. And her sons, Eladon and Elrohir, actually go out and do this whole da daring 
thing to rescue her, which there's sparingly little details about. But that sounds like it would be a pretty intense story if there was, I don't know, some lost <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> if, if like on my list of like lost Tolkien manuscripts to find, if 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 there's one of that story, I would I would definitely like to see it. But although Elrond, who's kind of a master of healing, was able to, I guess, remove the poison from her it was almost like frodo's wound it kind of left its mark and she couldn't find any more joy in middle earth so she ends up sailing off to valinor so again there's this this theme in middle earth of mothers who either pass on or leave and so arwen and the twins are kind of left without a mother figure except for obviously their grandmother galadriel as i mentioned earlier very cool. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely tragic for sure. Um, yeah, maybe that, I don't know if the timeline would match it, but maybe that's in a future spinoff of Rings of Power or something, or in Rings of Power, we could maybe see something like that as a, you know, as like a side, you know, like every episode of, of whatever spinoff is like its own thing. Um, kind of like the Lost Tales of <laughs> of Rings of Power or something, so Definitely a possibility yeah. here. That would be that would be very cool. Um, well, I didn't know if we um, we have a, a few more on here. Uh, I don't know if we would want to discuss since we're we're kind of in the elf elvish world. I don't know if we want to just keep on with talking about. We have Elwing, who uh, was the mother of Elrond and Elros, who are um, mm. important to not only the canonical Tolkien, but in to rings of power. So I don't know if anybody wanted to discuss anything about, about her specifically. She has a pretty uh, interesting story. Sure. I can, I can talk about her for a little, a little bit. Um, I think she's a really neat character. Um, so basically her story is that um, she is married to Arendil and kind of after, after the fall of Gondolin, um, he's kind of going on his little journeys um, and then there's a period of time where he's gone and the sons of Feanor come and they want the Silmaril back. And uh, I'm, I'm fuzzy on all the details. It's been a while since I read it, but she ends up uh, casting herself into the sea with the Silmaril. And instead of dying, Olmo um, like bears her up out of the water and she turns into a bird. And then she flies with the Silmaril to Arendil and they're reunited and then she goes along with him on his voyage um, and then she ends up staying with him. Um, she gets to live in a little tower where she can fly as a bird um, at times and then she can kind of see him as he's in his ship sailing as a star. And I'm realizing if you're unfamiliar with the story <laughs> <laughs> so, how wacky that sounds wacky that, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're talking like the, this is like the ultimate power couple in uh, yes. in all of Tolkien right because you've got the son of Tor and Idril and then the daughter or the granddaughter right of Baron and Luthien so like these are and yours and in Arendelle's line so, so it's like this 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 is like the who's who these two are like the you know everybody connects to these two and the story really is and and then from there from them it kind of goes out also into connecting to just about everybody else as well so if you yeah. wanted to pick like two characters that were 
meant to be together <laughs> it would be these two and like that kind of ties the bow on the whole lord of the rings thing <laughs> yeah and and they're so they're children they have two sons elrond and elros and from elros comes all of numenor and then from elrond you know you can follow his story through the lord of the rings and he's a major player so from these two characters like they have arguably like the coolest adventure that a couple could ever go on. Um, and then from the two of them, their their descendants have like a massive impact on the world. Yeah, they all they their adventure is is pretty cool. It's pretty comparable to Baron and Luthien's. Uh, but I mean I and even Baron and Luthien kind of turns into a batter, like a takes the form of a batter, wears a bat cape or something along those lines in, in their adventure. Uh, to get the Silmaril from Morgoth, so I guess if you can fly, as a you're 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 going to be important if you can fly. So <laughs> what we're seeing, but birds are important. <laughs> and all right, um, and if any, unless anyone had anything else to say about Elwing, I'm sure we could talk a lot about her. But if anyone, if no one else, uh, we've. I guess we're kind of moving out of the elves a little bit. Um, uh, we we mentioned Arwen, but we just don't know much about her as a mom. Um, all, and let, just other than that, she she had a long life, and um, you know, was a we assume can assume was a good mom. But if anyone had any details or anything they wanted to to share about her before we move on to another one, yeah, was, there's not too much. There's not like yeah. the you know the biography of Arwen after the after the lord of the rings it's kind of she's she's kind of you know not to not to say she's shortchanged but she kind of was maybe shortchanged a little bit <laughs> in terms of we just don't know you know don't get much of her outside of her relationship to aragorn so um but she i mean at least in the films one connection one thing i'm thinking of is she she saw that she was going to if she was going to leave middle earth and with her father and then she had a vision that she saw a son and she she saw her aragorn dying and thought oh no i'm you know it's going to be my life will end and my you know i love aragorn but he'll he'll be gone and then i'll die but then she saw she had a son would have a son with him and in the films at least that kind of was the catalyst for her to stay which again i know is not the uh <laughs> not from the books but um, just that's a little bit of a little bit more there. Um, so, you know, we can kind of extrapolate that she, from that a little bit that she was, uh, motherhood was important to her. And she saw that as like, that was, that was a life that was life for her, even though she would give up eternal life or immortality, she would have another kind of life, um, which not, a, I'm not a mom. Um, but <laughs> I know even as a dad, you're like, when you have kids, it's, you're like you put another you have another part of your life out there in the world and and it, it can be tough sometimes to want to always protect them and you know keep them from harm but you know also um so i don't know if anyone wanted to say anything more about her as a mom i like the little just... i like the little snippet we get in the movie too of her father speaking to her about what's going to happen where she's going to have to watch him fade away and die and she'll just keep going mm. and that's that's 
a, a, a very good observation. And when you extrapolate who is coming from and the relationships that he's had and who he's been around, it's very interesting to, to like see uh, that perspective of it and how he's kind of uh, passing that to her. But then that it was so important to her, the connection that she had with Aragorn and the fact that she was going to have a son and that there was going to be this line that was going to carry on from her uh, that she decided to stay and not leave and go and, and just be separate from the world, but to actually be a part of it, even with all of the tragedy. And that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting take a lot of times when, when you think about motherhood and the fact that you have children and eventually you have to let them go and you have to see them pass on to be their own people. And that's as a father, it's hard as a mother. My, my wife's always telling me, I, you don't even know, you don't even know how challenging <laughs> this is. This is so it's completely different for you than it is for me. Uh, so yeah. So I, I can imagine that that's something that's really, you know, for her would be even more interesting is like having to watch multiple generations. If she stuck around for it, for them to to be passing on and becoming great but at the same time to be fading out of the world in front of her and she she was brave enough to do that that's impressive oh very cool very well said yeah i hadn't really thought about that as like she yeah she how much she gave up you know and she could have she could have been kind of the ladriel to the next generation of middle earth if she wanted to but she yeah she gave it up for to you know bring forth bring forth life in, in a different way so we just had a couple more on here um i don't know we uh, i think thomas you put on here uh we we have a, a one or one or two more positive mothers and we might have have a few negative mothers or mother <laughs> figures to touch on um before we we conclude but um did uh thomas you want to discuss uh Findulis? yeah for uh Findulis of amra it's interesting because she is the mother of Boromir and Faramir. And Faramir was a character who Tolkien himself said he really identified with. So it was interesting to see yet again is another absent mother figure. We're told that she dies when both Boromir and Faramir are pretty young. Um, I think Boromir's 10 and, Baram and Faramir is 5 or uh, somewhere along those those ages she it, she seems to die of kind of depression or maybe it's the the black breath of the nazgul all that's said is that being like she she's from dol amroth this very coastal area near the sea and of course it's it's tolkien so the sea has all these kind of spiritual connotations and when she moves to be with her husband denethor in minas tirith the proximity to Mordor seems to almost drain the life and spirit out of her. And and so she she passes on at a young age. And it says not only does this affect the two boys, it, it kind of affects Denethor. That's that's when he starts to kind of become withdrawn from other people and cold where, you know, OK, he wasn't always he. He was never really a people person, <laughs> Denethor, but, you know, it it definitely got worse after his wife died because she was like the one person who you could really say he he genuinely really loved for her own sake. And and with, with her gone, it kind of starts Denethor on that road to where we eventually see him in The Lord of the Rings, where he's completely self-obsessed and is willing to do, 
you know, has this terrible relationship with his sons and is just willing to do anything, including using the Palantir to obtain knowledge that he thinks will help him. And of course, it leads to his undoing. And it just seems to all lead back to he, he never really got over the loss of Finduilas. And perhaps, and this is a little bit of speculation on my part, does he blame himself mm. for bringing her away from the sea that she loved and bringing her to this place where he knew she wouldn't be able to thrive? You know, maybe he blames himself for that. And mm. it, it just adds another layer to to Denethor's character and to Boromir and Faramir. Yeah, and it, it could be that she's kind of like, maybe it was like a political marriage where yeah, you know the the Lord of Gondor needed a, needed to continue his line, and so it's it's it. Um, we don't know, but it could be. You know, hopefully they loved each other, and it wasn't just for that. But it's kind of games Game of Thrones esque, where you take you know someone from a you take the 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 woman from a happy place, and she has to go live in the live in the north in the cold north or in the cold <laughs> stone. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe finding some happiness, but still not, as you said, thriving and. And yeah, it's. I, th I think we kind of kind of see Boromir took after his father, and and Faramir took after her in a lot of ways. So, mm -hmm. um, or or maybe not took after, but was at least she was. He was kind of more more drawn to her, and, and maybe that's why Denethor kind of pushed him away more. Oh yeah, Boromir I hadn't because thought of that. It's like it reminded he he looked in you know, and almost like Harry Potter. You remind me of your mother. Yeah. So. Uh. To bring and in all two, the other fantasies. <laughs> yeah, right. And two, uh, what is it? Faramir gives his mother's mantle to Eowyn. Oh, yes. That's such a good mm -hmm. moment. That's yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Very cool. Well, unless anybody had any any other good mothers to talk about, uh, <laughs> thought we could, we could spend a few. Uh, I guess I did have on here, um, I wanted to touch on, at least in Rings of Power, it's, again, not canonical, but... Um, Bronwyn and the Harfoot mothers that we see. Mm -hmm. and, and of course we, we, you know, we talked a lot about Bronwyn as in her relationship uh, with Theo and everything. But uh, I think, that, I think I, we can kind of, I kind of see that as she was kind of the, maybe a little bit justice for moms in middle earth uh, and not in a bad way or anything, <laughs> but just maybe that's like, they kind of wrote her as a, as a, wrote her in instead of a father, having Theo's father kind of be the one uh, kind of taking care of him and, being kind of the the leader of this of this settlement, uh, or kind of the leader of these people, it's it's Bronwyn. So I don't know if anyone had. We've talked a lot about her, of course, but if anyone had anything else to say, is um, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how she develops in the in the next season and beyond. Yeah, I think it'll be oh, interesting to yeah. see what come what comes of Theo as well. Like because yeah. we now have not only the example of what I would say is a, a good mother. I think she's really she's good. In, in the sense of the the setting that she's in and, and trying to help him grow. But then to see, you know, what that results in uh, with her and with him and who he becomes, because that's ah. still a sticking point for me. I'm still very intrigued at, at who Theo <laughs> is going to end up being. <laughs> well, we've seen he's tasted power and he likes it. So, yeah. I mean, right. hopefully he's going somewhere very evil. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it could be that we think that and then Bronwyn Bronwyn brings him back somehow him from back. that. Mm -hmm. And then Bronwyn becomes evil. 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we need some. I need some very evil characters to be developed. I feel like we need the enough happiness. <laughs> the second age is not a happy time. And after we spend all this time talking about the the happy mothers in Middle Earth, too. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. So so far, the story that we know for Bronwyn at, up until this point, she's a very she's a really dedicated mom and you can tell she's the kind of mom who's like I will do anything to protect my family um and that's definitely very admirable yeah very cool and the other only other one I had written down from the from the show was the uh the Harfoot mothers who we we see a, 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 there's several kind of mother figures there's uh there's uh Nori's mom and then there's the, marigold right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then I, I forget her name but the the uh wife of the head harfoot um we kind of see her as she's she's kind of talking since her husband died and, didn't she die or was, yeah, was that his second wife, wife? yeah so yeah Sadik's wife, wife? What I'm didn't she pass away well, or maybe not his wife. But wasn't there the the one who was? The there was those kind of two old ladies that yeah, yeah that's what I was he thinking would of. speak to. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember her name. Melva. <laughs> Melva. Melva is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember yeah. the other. But they're kind of your a little bit stereotypical, like old, you know, old grandmother talking sense into everybody, and yeah, you know, kind of keeping everybody on track when the when when the the young ones get too uh, too out of line. Um, but they do kind of, you know, have their own little bit of heroism there when they, when they help, help, uh, Nori and, and the stranger out. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so we could touch on them a little bit. I'm curious. We'll see kind of where that story goes as well. Um, as we get into the show, um, and unless anyone else has any happy mothers, like I said, I think we could move and spend a couple minutes on some kind of the bad mothers of middle earth so (laughs) (laughs) or mother figures i guess before i forget is is just that i'm what was interesting to me is that marigold was actually a stepmom to nori Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. her you know uh oh i'm i'm forgetting the name of nori's dad now but his Uh, his first his first wife had died largo yeah that's so largo's first wife had had died and so Marigold was his second wife. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that they, they they do mention it a couple of times. But it's like, I love how. I love how if if they didn't mention that, you wouldn't know, mm-hmm. you know, she's yeah. she's yeah. completely the, the, the mother of that family, which is which is uh, in, in so many other fairy tales. It's the evil stepmother, you know, so right. it's like I like that they yeah. kind of undercut that, you know, she. At the same time, she's she's afraid for Nori, but in the end, she's supportive of her. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really great. Definitely. Very cool. Well, I think that can we can, as I said, move on to the, the bad mother section. So the I, I just had a couple down here that that I and feel free to we can bring up any others as we kind of start to wrap up. But the first one I wrote down was uh, Ungoliant and, and to an extent Shelob. And uh, mm-hmm. for those who don't remember, uh, for our listeners who may not remember, uh, Ungoliant was the she was the first spider. Um, she was a Maiar who Morgoth corrupted, um, or Melkor, I guess, corrupted and took the form of a spider. And she's actually the one who killed the two trees, um, by kind of grossly like biting them and 
injecting them with with her venom and stuff. So, um, and her, uh, and of course, her her offspring became you know the the big spiders of Middle Earth. That the best we know of is uh, is Shelob, but um, so she's kind of the a bad mother figure in the sense that you know she's she gives she she gets corrupted and gives and spawns this whole race of of kind of of evil beings. And I think we can kind of say the spiders are are not good, <laughs> are not, good. <laughs> not really redeemable. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if anyone else wanted to say anything about her or Shelob or the or the spiders. I mean, I'm intrigued at how prolific she is because we see spiders not only in the um, in the realms of Mordor, but also in the forest where uh, in the Hobbit. And so those those spiders, I'm I'm assuming are of the same stripe but you know we can't be sure maybe it's another maybe it's offspring of another of ungoliant's uh offspring but you know it's just an interesting thought like it's always there and it's almost like um you know you can kind of tell uh how tolkien felt about spiders by <laughs> the way yeah. that they appear uh in lord of the rings i believe actually it says in the two towers very grossly that the Mirkwood spiders are the kind of inbred spawn of Shelob and her own other offspring. And that's, yeah. that's really <laughs> gross. And I'm like, Tolkien, why did you add that? <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien's just gotta let just, you know how bad yeah. it is. So it's like, there's this really gross kind of, you know, yeah, just inbred, disgusting, like aura about the spiders. Like, he just wanted to let you know there is nothing good about these things at all, <laughs> you know, and that and that the the her her mates that she created these lesser spiders with, she then devoured. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, it's like and that's the thing, like the spiders, both Shelob and Ungolian are all about. It's funny because they're, they're very like you said, Thomas, they're very generative. They're always pumping out new spiders. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they're they're all about consuming everything. Whether it's the light of the two trees or other spiders or, you know, Shelob just going after little hobbitses or whatever. <laughs> it's it's like they're they're all about conspicuous consumption. It kind of makes you wonder what Maiar was corrupted into. The, like, what was that Maiar responsible for? And, mm. you know, their corruption into this perverted form because there's always like that there's always that theme of like you know the corruption of a thing is a different expression of that same thing so it's almost like the the virtue becomes the vice uh so i'm, I'm intrigued now that would that would be a really interesting story to see like you know yeah to go back to melkor and his creation and his um or his not his creation but his um his corruption of the the creation and and see what those pieces were i'd like to see some flashbacks there you go there's some ideas yeah. for uh rings of power some flashbacks uh how Morgoth made the things that he made. And this is like, I'm totally just making this up, but I, wouldn't it be cool if the, if they were, um, Maiar of the, the Vala, who is the weaver, isn't that Vire? Oh, like, yeah. Like, what if that, I mean, like, I'm like, that's just completely, I have no foundation for that, but it would be really, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and believe it until someone proves me wrong. But like the idea of spiders weaving, you know, their own webs and they're kind of using it towards evil. Maybe they learned weaving from Vire. I don't know. 
I'll buy that head That's, cannon. I'm going for it. That's a good head <laughs> cannon. <laughs> yeah, and and the only other thing with Ungoliant is is I believe in the text of the Silmarillion it says something about how she we don't know her ultimate fate, but we know that she basically disappeared and is and has an insatiable hunger for light. And so it's kind of so I forget it. I wish I should have wrote down the line, but it's something like she she's almost probably devouring herself, but can never die or something along or, you know, is, is always going to be yeah. hungry. But it's something but like never, she devoured herself in the end or, or something. Like yeah, that. something like that. It's pretty, pretty gruesome. Um, that's yeah. very Greek mythology that, yeah. you know, that, that sounds like something. Yeah, well, that's what you get when you when you eat the two tree, the light of the two trees and, you know, nothing else can compare to that. So that's what and, you get. <laughs> <laughs> and then um well the only other ones i have on here i thought we could touch on um smeagol's grandmother who i believe kind of when smeagol was because I, I from what i remember he was kind of not a good hobbit or hobbit-esque thing already when he found the ring and and then he, that just made him worse and and i believe it was smeagol's grandmother might have been and that might have only and partially because of her mistreatment of him. I, I don't remember as much about her. I don't know if anyone has anything to say, but I, I think ultimately she kind of drove him out of drove him out of their, you know, their home and before he made his way into the into the mountains and lived in the caves. Yeah, I know Smeagol was definitely like a weird little guy before he even got the ring, because I think Tolkien says that he was really interested in roots and beginnings. And so he would just be like off digging, digging holes and just like in general being strange. Um, and he he wasn't like a socially accepted kind of guy. Um, but yeah, I I have to go back and reread that to to see what role his grandmother plays. But I do remember he gets basically like kicked out by her yeah because it says he he started to use the ring to find out secrets and pit people against each other in their little village it said he put his knowledge to crooked and malicious uses which is just a great line but yeah and then like yeah and that you know his grandmother you know couldn't take all this infighting that smeagol was causing and so expels him from the family and turns him out but it's funny because he he kind of remembers her because in his various little like monologues that he does with himself, he he mentions her a few times. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think in, in one of the riddles with Bilbo, he figures out one of the answers by remembering his grandmother. And then when when he's when Gandalf interrogates him about the ring, he tries to use his grandmother to like construct this lie oh no the, the the ring came from my grandmother it was it was hers or something like that and Gandalf's just like I don't believe that for a second you know but but yeah. it's like he she seemed to have left some imprint on Smeagol's mind because he still remembers her even after 500 years of having the ring destroy his personality and consciousness he, he she still comes up she must have been you know a very influential figure in his life even if they they didn't see eye to eye and their relationship kind of deteriorated. You wonder almost if she was able to prevent some level of his fall to the ring at, by the the care that she instilled in him. You know, because there's there's still like pieces of him that are, you know, 
that are that are mortal that are that are hobbit <laughs> i was gonna say human but that are that are <laughs> hobbit you know like that are that are there and conscious and uh frodo's able to to bring that out of him a little bit um not enough in the end because it turns out in the end that he is just really evil like that's that's just who he is but i like that he's this small evil like he's in the contrast of of uh you know sauron the the great evil right this is this is this is small evil where it's like he uses the ring to find out secrets and create scandal like that's his and that's but but that is that it but the thing about it is that that's evil like that's not mm -hmm. it's not just banal in the sense that like oh who cares it's it's actually like it's it's evil in that sense of like banality is evil right there that evil is just the everyday things that we do that are like you know they're just bad just rotten and we need to seek to improve and i i love that that's this character like from the beginning so much so that someone had like his his grandmother has to kick him out <laughs> because she just can't stand that this is what he does anymore it's almost like she was trying to get him to come to his senses maybe if mm -hmm. i kick him out he'll straighten up mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. instead he just took it so personally mm -hmm. that you know he you know, he, he kind of, oh, everybody's against me. And so he turns in on himself, even though he's kind of the cause of his own problems. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, the uh, last one we have on here is I think we could just touch on for a moment is Lobelia Sackville Baggins, who was again, like the banal evil, right? <laughs> yeah, but I feel sorry for her in the end because, you know, her son gets murdered and yeah, he was mm -hmm. pretty rotten, too. But you can tell that, like, you know, she, yeah, she she had that kind of, you know, banality of evil in, like, the early chapters of Fellowship of the Ring, where she's so rude and so just kind <laughs> of unpleasant. But, you know, like, she had it in her to sort of stand up to the ruffians and to the point mm -hmm. where they, they kind of like, the other hobbits like her at yeah. the end. And she mm -hmm. gives away her money to help you know the the shire rebuild and I, I thought that that's a nice that was kind of a nice twist on that character like she does a complete 180 that you don't expect yeah she has a cool character arc it's very minor like you wouldn't you know you blink and you'd miss it but mm. when you really think about it the difference between her and the fellowship versus the end of the return of the king is pretty big yeah she's kind of one of the few mothers and even one of the few kind of evil semi-evil characters that has kind of that redemption in the end and it's because usually usually if you start evil you you finish evil or if you mm -hmm. you start good you you finish good um with a few other exceptions here and there but yeah that's that is interesting i hadn't i was kind of thinking more of her just because again i'm more of a film i have have seen the films a number of times the only things you really see of her is she's trying to trying to get the get the get back in from from bilbo Mm -hmm. and he says you know they've never forgiven me for living this long <laughs> she just she <laughs> wants that for her. Yeah. Yeah, she she wants that for you know for her family and for her yeah. son so it's kind of she's coveting her her own family's stuff you know in name to give it to her son but because she wants it for herself so but at least in the book yeah you as you mentioned she gets that redemption in the end i believe at at the end of the hobbit book Tolkien even says that she never legally recognized Bilbo 
as like as still alive <laughs> that's mm-hmm. like she she kept up the pretense that like he was an imposter or something and she she never legally recognized his return and i'm like that's really petty is, hobbits everyone idealizes hobbits but hobbits can be petty like they <laughs> they get in your business they'll hold a grudge they're gonna be gossiping about you like they're not perfect they Hobbiton needs I've always thought Hobbiton needs somebody like the Curie of ours to just kind of come in <laughs> and sweep out all this gossip and 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 backbiting and all that stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, unless anyone else has anything else to say, um, I think that will do it for us on the secrets of Middle Earth. So before we. Before we close out, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Thomas A., Carl D., Michael K., Valkovius, and Rob G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us continue to create the secrets of Middle-Earth and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. So again, we want to wish all the mothers out there a happy Mother's Day. We'd love to hear from you and would know which mother in Tolkien is your favorite. And again, you can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Send an email to Middle Earth at sqpn.com or visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash Discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Fathers in the Legendarium. So might have a few, a, a larger number to pull from there. So... Until then, Caitlin Fashista, thank you for joining me in the Secrets of Middle Earth. Thank you. And Thomas Sanjuro, thank you as well. Thanks, Jeff. And Thomas Salerno, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And once again, I'm Jeff Hecker. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Middle Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.